Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Are we been walking through this beautiful theme in the Gospel of John called light into darkness? And we've been looking at this concept of, of how Jesus is the one as the light of the world who overcomes all these images of darkness in the world around us. And so we talked about how some of the themes of, of darkness are evil and injustice, how darkness can be associated with ignorance, how, how darkness can be associated with a meaningless and purposeless of life. And we talked about how it, Jesus infuses light into all these things and that Jesus is personified as light in the Gospel of John. And so we start the Gospel of John and, and it tells us, that in the beginning was the, does anyone remember, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? This is all defining Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. In other words, Jesus is creator. And without Him, not anything was made that was made. In Him was life. In other words, Jesus is the very source of meaning and value and significance and purpose in life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen, church? Amen. It's the beauty of who Jesus is. Now, the gospel account we're reading this morning comes a few chapters later in John chapter 3. And here John says this says, for God so, what? Loved the world. That He gave His only Son. Who is that only Son? Jesus. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved what? Darkness, rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, again, Jesus is the Logos, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen in his works have been carried out by God. This is the word of the Lord for today. And what I want to do for the purpose of this morning is really just to break down this beautiful passage down, reflecting on the, the love of God. And the first thing we realize from this passage is that the love of God is for what? For the world. The, the literal Greek word here is the cosmos. And it's talking about all of creation. In other words, God created the cosmos and He created it out of, any guesses? Love, right? 
He created the cosmos out of love. In other words, the love of God is universal over the cosmos because it's his creation. In other words, the, the systems and people and culture and nature is everything that God has loved and displayed his love for. And so the first major thing we learn about God is that God loves the world. And the beautiful reality is that means there's, there's no exceptions of his love. In other words, all people, all places, all times, there's no exception that God's love is displayed and God's love is manifest over the cosmos, over the world. And it tells us that God loved the world, right? But that's not all of it. God didn't just love the world. What else do we see? A little two-letter word there. For God so loved the world. In other words, there's this intensity to the love. There's this driving action towards the love. And it's this beautiful reality that we get to get a glimpse into the heart of God and His love for us. And it says, and so God loved the world that He did something. That that love wasn't just passive, that love wasn't just apathetic, that love was a driving force between the very actions of God. And so it tells us that God loves this world with this intensity. And that's why I think the, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Ephesus, when he's trying to describe the love of God, how does he describe it? He says, I pray for you, church, that you would be able to comprehend the love of God. And you actually need the power of God to do this because you need to grasp what? How wide? How deep? How? Anyone else have this memorized? How high this love of God which surpasses knowledge in other words, the, the love of God is so magnificent, the love of God is so radical and intense that we as humans can't even grasp it in our minds. The beauty of what God's love for is for us. And, and we, we don't really have anything close in our experiences, do we? The closest thing I've ever had to even coming uh, to some sort of concept of this love is, is when my girls were born. Anyone else sort of have that feeling when your kids are born, where you, you've known them for a second, and yet they're everything to you? Anyone else experience that? Where you just have this deep, deep, innate love that you love them so, 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 so much. And it, it's the, the closest thing that I could even grasp to the love that God has for us. And so Paul prays for the church that we could grasp it because the love of God for the cosmos is so out of our grasp as human knowledge. And so 1 John 4.8, we reflected on that this morning of our Advent reading where it tells us that God is what? God is love. In other words, the very nature, the very essence of God is love. And the beautiful aspect of this is we actually get to know and experience it because the love of God is embodied in Jesus. And so 
John 3.16 doesn't teach us just that God loves us so much that He would do anything for us out of the love. Rather, it teaches us something very specific about that love. The love of God does what? He gave. He gave. He gave His only Son. In other words, the love of God is expressed in this generosity of giving to us as humans. And it's this, this language of, of not, just, not just some generic gift, not just some generous act, but He gave the most valuable and precious thing in the entire cosmos. And, and this language of one and only Son, that language of only is actually very crucial here because the, the language of only means there's nothing else like it. In other words, there's nothing else like the person of Jesus in this world. There's only one. There's only one. And when we look at the history of, of humanity, has there been anyone like Jesus? No. There's a reason why we're talking about him a few thousand years later. Because there's only one. He's absolutely unique. There's no one been like Jesus. He is the unique one. And it tells us significantly over and over again in the Scriptures that Jesus is the one and only Son of God. In other words, that He is God in the flesh and He is the greatest treasure to be had. And so here's, here's the beautiful thing. God gave not even that which is most precious to God. God gave that is what is most precious to everything. Because Jesus himself is the most precious of everyone and everything. And so Jesus Christ is the unique one, the one and only, the one of a kind. Again, in other words, there is no one, nobody like Jesus. And we can testify this pretty easily throughout history. No one lived like Jesus. I mean, when you look at the history of humanity, who actually lived a perfect life? A sinless life, never did anything wrong, never had any sin or deceit or lies. Did anyone ever live like Jesus in history? No. No one's ever died like Jesus. When we look at the very circumstances surrounding his death for a purpose, an entire history before even existence that pointed to his death on a cross for our sins, no one is like Jesus and yet, as 2 Corinthians 9.15 tells us, God gave Jesus as this inexpressible gift. God gave the most generous gift of all. Now, the next question is, well, why? Why does God give? Why does Jesus come? I mean, this is literally the celebration we have in this Christmas season, is Jesus coming in flesh to this world why is this generous act done? Well, first and foremost, it's motivated by God. Now, there's times where we can think, where we can, we can believe that because we as humans have an inherent value and an instinct value, which is true by nature because we're created in the image of God, that God how somehow loved us so much that that was His motivation. But actually, the motivation of God's love for us is motivated first and foremost in Him, 
who He is. There's nothing that we deserve from God's love, and yet God's love is motivated by simply because of who He is. What makes us beautiful is God's love is in spite of us at times. Amen? I mean, again, you think of a parenting example between a father and a child. Uh, there's times where your child is just crazy and chaotic, right? Any amens out there to that? And yet, you love your child despite who they are and how they're acting at times, right? Is that not the story of humanity? We have absolutely made a disaster and a mess of this world, and yet God can love us despite who we are. And so God's motivation for His love comes from who He is rather than any good that we accomplish or good that we are in and of ourselves. And so here's the beautiful thing. Because God's love is motivated by Himself, what does that remind us of? It's not dependent on who then. It's not dependent on us. And that's pretty crucial because a few verses later, this text reminds us as humans that we as humans, we don't love the light, do we? We don't love what is true. We don't love what is good. We don't love what we should, and yet we love instead what? Darkness. The history of humanity is filled with evil, with injustice, with lies, with deceit, with wrong, with sin, right? Humans love the darkness. Humans love to stray away from the purposes of God. And so if God's love was motivated by who we are and how good we are, we're in trouble, aren't we? And yet God's love is motivated by Himself. See, Jesus didn't come to a world that loved Him. The world rejected Him as we see throughout history. But Jesus came to a world that loved not Jesus but loved darkness. And yet that did not hinder His love. He came to a world that loved the dark. And yet His love remain. Now, here's what's wild. Verse 17, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And here's the subtle note in this passage, and we we take this and we, we sort of read it over in a sense without realizing the the depth of how it defines us. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because we were already condemned in our sin. We had already rebelled against God's purposes. We have already rebelled against God's will and desire for our life. We are already condemned because of the evil and injustice that we have, and yet God in spite of us, came to save. He came to love. And He came to bring salvation. And He came to do it by dying on the cross for our sins, to restore relationship between us and Him. He came to shine light into the darkness and to bring us in to the light. The beauty of God's motivation. And so I encourage that in the sense of this too, because so often 
I hear people, when, when they doubt the love of God in their life, usually their focus is on themselves, right? Well, I've done this. I've done this horrible act. I've, I've made this mistake. I've, I've said these wrong things. How could God love me when all these things? But here's the good news, people. God's love isn't motivated by that, amen? God's love is motivated by Himself, by His character, by His goodness. Which means that because God has loved the cosmos, His love is available for you. It's not motivated by your goodness. It's not motivated by all your right deeds and right actions. It's motivated by Himself. And the beautiful thing is that love then only has to be received. It doesn't have to be earned. It doesn't have to be manipulated out of God. It just has to be received. That's why we call the, the birth of Jesus at this Christmas time the greatest gift. It's a gift that we receive. And so it tells us that God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, why do we perish? Because we love the darkness. Because we wanted life apart from the light of God, and yet God has given us a gift in Jesus Christ to be received. And here's the beautiful thing. There's a Swiss theologian called Bart. He was asked what he thought was the import, most important word in the New Testament. That's a lot of words to deal with, a lot of heavy words, right? A lot of very complex words in the New Testament. And his favorite word, he said, and he thought the most important word in the New Testament was hyper. It's a Greek word, and it's a preposition. And all it means is in place of, or on behalf of. And what he was referring to is he says, hyper is the most important word, it's the most important of all truths, and it's significant because, why? Jesus took our place. Again, that word means on behalf of. Jesus took our place on behalf of us so that we might be saved. In other words, we as the people who have walked in the darkness, we as the people who have rebelled against God, who deserves punishment, who deserves wrath and judgment of God because of evil and injustice that we have done? The answer is easy. It's us. And yet the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God's gift is that Jesus died on the cross on behalf of us and our sin, on behalf of everything that we deserve because of what we've done and who we are, Jesus took upon himself, offering us the greatest gift we could ever receive in this life. That's the beauty of who Jesus is, the beauty of the gospel. And it's simply to be received. And so God demonstrated His love by sending Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to die on the cross for our sins. Amen, church? And we're going to spend some time celebrating that today. And we're going to celebrate it through the means of baptism. Woohoo! Amen. 
And, and baptism is this, this beautiful sign. It's this, it's this symbolic rendering of, of what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it's, it's reminding us that we, have, we as humans, we as individuals, we have loved darkness. We have loved sin. We, we take the good things that God has given us and we misuse them. We abuse them. We use them in inappropriate ways. We love the darkness, and yet the beauty is that God has given us His light in Jesus Christ. And what we do through baptisms, we say that I confess to loving the darkness in my life. I confess that I've lived apart from God, apart from His desires, apart from His purposes. And I realize that it's only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that I can be who I was created to be and to follow the way of Jesus. And so the symbol of being buried in the water is literally the symbol of dying to self, dying to our old ways of life, dying, rebelling against God, and being raised up to newness of life, to the life that God has for us, to the life that God created us for, to the life we all long to fully live in God. And so that's what we're celebrating today.